0: From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers magazine, the national conversation, it's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, May 2nd through Friday, May 6th, 2022. Happy Mother's Day weekend clicks and power are the mothers of contention. Welcome to an hour of black belt talk radio during which your tolerance for hearing different points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, righties, and fence sitters. Please don't get angry. Just listen closely and maintain a degree of educated skepticism. You'll hear yappers with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices reflecting the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern Day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Rap, heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest topics discussed in the American talk media, gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this
1: past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10 this week, the Dave Chappelle incident. Obviously, it is no longer safe to be a comedian in our society. Well-known stand-up comic Dave Chappelle was tackled to the ground this past Tuesday by a man who jumped up on the stage from the audience. Fortunately, Chappelle was not injured, but he was shook up. It's dangerous
0: these days to be a comedian on lots of
1: levels. At number nine, a three-way tie between race relations, immigration, and climate change. Now, there was so much talk this week about the Supreme Court and abortion, not to mention the economy and war, that the perennial talk show topics of race relations, immigration reform, and even climate change took a bit of a back seat in this week's survey. Although wildfires and straight-line winds have been ravaging New Mexico for more than a month and are creating a major disaster.
0: Collectively, these topics were discussed enough to be in the top ten tied at number nine as components of the partisan wars heating up as we draw closer to the midterm elections.
1: At number eight, crime and violence. We started this week's countdown with a highly visible crime on the showbiz stage perpetrated against a comedian but incivility on the streets of our cities and across our culture in general is no joke.
0: Police stats from around the nation indicate crime and violence in America's urban centers, such as New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, continue to be on the rise, generating more and more voter outrage.
1: At number seven, Elon Musk's bid to buy Twitter, tied with social media in general. The mega-billionaire seems to have raised over $7 billion in new funding for his purchase of Twitter, with $1 billion from Oracle founder Larry Ellison. He'll be buying the company for somewhere in the neighborhood of $44 billion, though the acquisition is not yet final.
0: In the meantime, word is that Musk will temporarily assume the role of Twitter's CEO until a new chief executive, reportedly already selected but not named, is installed as head of the company's new management team. With social media platforms such as Twitter gathering such massive societal influence, does it trouble anyone, regardless of political ideology, that such sheer power can fall into the hands of a single individual who has the extraordinary means to simply just
1: buy it? At number six, COVID-19. Although many people think, or at least act, like the pandemic is completely behind us, medical authorities, whatever that means in today's complex society, warn that new variants are brewing out there, threatening yet another wave of the coronavirus.
0: Meantime, debate and uncertainty swirl around the issue of vaccines and boosters as the virus and its variants continue to evolve through numerous permutations. U.S. regulators on Thursday strictly limited who can receive Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine due to the ongoing risk of rare but serious blood clots.
1: At number five, the Russia-Ukraine war tied with U.S. foreign policy. Obviously, the nation's position on Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea, as well as its relationship with NATO allies, have been heavily influenced by the war.
0: Meantime, even though Ukraine has shown tremendous resolve and the Russian military operation has fallen short of its intended goals, Putin's war machine is slowly but surely wearing down the former Soviet satellite, seeking to maintain its fragile democracy. The fierce battle taking place for control over a Ukraine steel plant is taking a disastrous toll on the lives of civilians.
1: At number four, the economy. The problems remain the same, with inflation leading a pack of problems facing the American economy, challenging folks to keep up with the rising cost of living.
0: In a move to curb high inflation, the U.S. Federal Reserve increased its key short-term interest rates by half a percentage point, the first hike of that level in 22 years. While the U.S. economy is still operating with relatively low rates, that situation could soon change. The central bank is expected to raise rates several more times in the months ahead. How much, however, is not exactly clear.
1: At number three, the January six committee tied with Donald Trump's role in the GOP. The investigation into former President Trump's role in the January 6th riot at the Capitol grinds on. Rudy Giuliani's virtual appearance before the committee set for Friday was postponed, although the former New York City mayor and Trump attorney remains under subpoena.
0: Meantime, Donald Trump's influence within the Republican Party as kingmaker and potential 2024 standard bearer shows little sign of decreasing in spite of the pressure mounting on all sides to investigate his business and political dealings.
1: At number two, partisan politics pertaining to the 2022 and 2024 elections. It just gets increasingly contentious as the midterm elections draw closer and closer and the stakes for control of the House and Senate grow increasingly high.
0: And the number one story of the week that we're about to cite is going to even further increase the ever-widening partisan divide. Also on the political front, President Biden named Karine Jean-Pierre as the new White House press secretary when Jen Psaki steps down next week. She'll be the first black and out LGBTQ person to hold the position.
1: And at number one this week, Roe v. Wade. The leaked draft Supreme Court majority opinion that would strike down Roe v. Wade has been an unexpected bombshell of a story that has exponentially heated up the national conversation.
0: And with that escalation of political contention come fears of violence across America. In Washington, workers began installing an eight-foot-tall, non-scalable fence around parts of the Supreme Court and set up concrete barriers blocking the street in front of the building. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. The Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade dominated conversation on news talk media shows across America this past week. We're about to hear from two major radio talk show hosts on the subject. One is conservative, the other liberal. Let's start with the conservative, the morning host of our Atlantic City, New Jersey affiliate WPG, the one and only Harry Hurley. Share with our audience your take on this major earthquake of a story.
2: My take is that all norms in American society are now absolutely in the garbage can. The one last beacon of hope was the United States Supreme Court where in almost 250 years, Nothing like this has ever happened. No decision, no uh, uh, initial, what they call draft majority opinion in the history of the republic has ever been leaked. The the worst thing about this is people did this on purpose. I don't believe it's some spur of the moment thing or somebody slipped because the coordinated campaign was ready to go. The protests were ready. Uh, I think this is the opposite Insurrection as January sixth was, and we talk about that in the piece that I wrote today. Uh, this is bad for the country and how about what about when John Roberts flipped his vote? His early vote on the Affordable Care Act was actually to join a five four majority to overturn it. He thought about it further and he flipped and he actually wrote a a carve out to call it a tax so that he could find a way to keep it um, and not have the disruption to the country that it would have caused. And so if the initial opinion had been leaked then, what would we have done? Would we have had protests all over the country The people are going to die and healthcare is going to be gone? No, we waited for the decision, and it all works out in America. This is bad for business.
0: So basically, you think the, the politics that it has infiltrated every aspect of our culture, including the sacred – supreme court of the united states that this is political skullduggery this is dirty political pool
2: you can't say it any better than that what else would it be look what it has done as we speak on the michael harrison rap there is a very tall fence that's unclimbable that surrounds the united states supreme court Nothing like that has ever existed before. A police officer was injured uh, recently because of this activity. The fundraising off of it has already begun. The nasty speeches have already begun, and they've rippled it into LGBT loss of freedoms, and children won't be able to go to school, and all these different uh, other uh, decisions that have been made, that they're next, and they're going to be taken away. Uh, The truth is, and I I, I don't want to be political about it, but it's purely political. It's all political. The Democrats are losing on every issue that matters to America, so they're going to ride this one financially and to try to turn their fortunes around in advance of November 8th, which they know. If you don't change the current atmosphere, they lose big. This is as nasty as it gets.
0: Let's talk about the actual issue. If you th- if hypothetically, the issue of Roe v. Wade, the issue of um, the general broad strokes of it, because it's very complicated, it's it's not just yeah. black or white. We both know that. But if 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 we made it black or white, Roe v. Wade versus the repeal of Roe v. Wade, the overturning of that decision that has basically been the basic force of law concerning uh, women's rights to abortions for the last uh, half a century. If there were a national referendum, an honest election of the votership of America for or against Roe v. Wade, how do you think it would turn out?
2: depends how it would be polled because, for example, before this controversy, you know how things can happen, Michael. You lose sight of what it's really about, and then it becomes about something else. And then you get a poll result that that is different than it would have been if people were more dispassionate about it. It, The the fuse is lit. The bomb has gone off. And it's very, very difficult. You can't stuff the genie back in the bottle. But two days ago, two days before the um, issue was leaked – 54% of the American people said they want abortion to be illegal in our country. That's a majority, as we know. So what would that be today with all of this stuff that's been going on? I suspect the number might be different, but I'll approach the question, Michael, this way. The 1973 ruling was wrong from the beginning. Nothing in the Constitution about abortion. It should have always been a states' rights issue. That's the way the country was set up in a representative republic. Each state gets to vote on it. Each state that has different ways of looking at the same thing, uh, you're going to have something like 26 states that won't want it at all. You'll have 20 some states that it will want it at different points, certain number of weeks, certain number of months. So it never should have been the law of the land. Anyhow, the the Supreme Court was activist when they made that decision they made it from a hard left point of view it should have been left in the hands of the states which is what's going to happen here everybody's flipping out but if they're not they're not ending abortion they're merely uh sending it to the states
0: to okay decide. that was my next question and so let's explore that a bit uh, a bit more deeply because it puts a lot of states now on the spot and there's going to be a lot of internal yes. debates going on if 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 Roe v. Wade is overturned, and part one of my question, take a note of this so we don't lose our track, is uh, do you think it will be overturned? If it is overturned, this will now become a national, across-the-nation battle in each state about states' rights and their own position on it. Do you see that happening if it is overturned, and do you think it will be overturned?
2: Uh, Yes, I do think it will be overturned. Uh, The only thing we don't know, this was written by Samuel Alito, a very good New Jersey boy, by the way, born April 1st, 1950. Good New Jersey boy. A lot of New Jersey boys have been on that Supreme Court, like... uh, uh, the late, great Antonin Scalia. It, it's going to be overturned in my estimation. The thing we have to guard against, though, is this was a draft majority opinion written by Associate Justice Alito in February. We're now in the month of May. It could have already changed. They're not going to tell us. I don't think they're going to rush to get the decision out uh, and, and answer to the mob. So I think they have to wait till end of June, early July, I think that if, if it was where it was in February, yes, they'll overturn – they'll reverse Roe v. Wade. They'll say that it was incorrect, and then they will send it back to the states. The second part of your question is also yes. There will be major implications because you will have states that will outlaw abortion. You will have states that will have it up until a certain trimester a certain point, a certain number of weeks, a certain number of months. Uh, And that's going to become uh, an issue. And then if you have people that want an abortion, you're going to have people traveling across state lines. There, There will be many, many issues, and it's going to have an effect. Anybody that says it won't is lying. It will have a major effect in the November midterm elections, which is the whole point. That's why This is the top issue right now.
0: That's Harry Hurley, the morning host at our Atlantic City, New Jersey affiliate, WPG. Coming up next, a liberal perspective on the same subject from the nation's leading progressive radio talk show host. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. of the golden age of album rock, Gun Hill Road has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gun Hill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Kunin, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled, I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom.
3: I know you're real
0: Take a moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that'll rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address. Write it down I know you are real.com. That's I know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. I know you are real. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. In the last segment, we presented a conservative talk radio perspective on the explosive Supreme Court Roe v. Wade story. Now, let's tap into the liberal perspective. Joining us from his headquarters in Portland, Oregon, is the highest-ranking progressive host on the Talkers' Heavy 100 listing of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America, nationally syndicated personality Tom Hartman.
4: Well, this is the first time since 1896 that the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. Um, that was, of course, Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, the Separate but Equal, where they took away the right of, of black people to, to intermingle with white people in society, um, and uh, you know, which, which was granted arguably by the Civil War. So I think it's pretty outrageous, you know, that the court is saying uh, no. We're, you know, and, and Alito is saying, well, you know, the word abortion doesn't occur in the Constitution. There's a lot of words that don't occur in the Constitution that are perfectly legal. That's why there's a Ninth and Tenth Amendment. So I'm 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 pretty offended by it, and I know a lot of people are very very upset.
0: Now, uh, do you see this as uh, uh, being a definitive situation? You said it's the first time the Supreme Court has taken away the rights. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Do you see this as inevitable based upon the current political momentum?
4: Yeah, probably. I mean, there, there has been a 40-year campaign. Ronald Reagan had, uh, was always pro-choice, and he had signed the most liberal abortion law in the United States as governor of California. And George Herbert Walker Bush and his wife uh, were big funders and donors, to and, and sponsors of Planned Parenthood. But in 1980, when they were running for president, or when Reagan and, and Bush as vice president were running, uh, they cut a deal, essentially, with Jerry Falwell. Falwell would bring millions of, of uh, conservative Protestant um, uh, religious uh, folks to the Republican Party in exchange for the Republicans saying that they would uh, deny women the right to have an abortion, and this, you know, then that got got us started down this path, or got the Republican Party started down this path, and now forty years later, they finally accomplished what what they set out with that 1980 election. It has served them well for forty years. I mean, they've they've used this. Nobody, it, it's worked for them on both sides. On on the one side, um, on the on the Republican side people who were opposed to abortion and thought that their belief system should be imposed on every other american those folks were happy to toss the money and give them votes and things you know the assumption that well maybe someday and on the democratic side people or even on the independent side people who would vote for them uh, just figured eh, it will never happen it's just talk well now it's happened now the republican party is the car that or the dog that caught the car and here they are with their 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 teeth on the bumper and they're not quite sure what to do. I mean, the Republican Study Committee sent out a, a memo to, to all elect all your elected, federally elected Republicans um, two days ago saying, don't talk about abortion. Talk about the leak. Put the focus on the leak because we don't want, you know, what we're, our polling is finding is that roughly three quarters of Americans want Roe v. Wade. They want that, that protection in case their daughter gets raped or, or they have a failure of birth control. They want to have that as an option and uh you know and it's only a small minority who are just really you know foaming at the mouth about this, so let's focus on the leak and try and turn that into a scandal and you know I've seen you know this is pretty much the story on Fox News. it's
5: the leak, oh my God,
4: and it's pretty much the the story on right wing talk radio and and it it's been the exclusive story among elected Republicans. they are not talking about abortion, they are talking about oh my God, the leak
3: mm. so interestingly, I. Um, think it's Harry- fairly-
0: yeah, Harry mentioned the leak. That was the first thing that he said. And um, yep. understand, Understand, Harry's, a, Harry's a, a straight shooter and a good guy. and um, But it is interesting, he led off with the leak. So th- now that you've provided a counterpoint to that, what is your feeling about the fact that there was this type of breach of security, regardless of it being Roe v. Wade, whatever it was? Um, does it concern you at all? That there was this no, leak.
4: There, there is no law that says that uh, you can't leak something from a Supreme Court justice. There's, mm-hmm. there, you know, it's, it's I mean, you know, things get leaked all the time. You know, the last time something leaked out of the Supreme Court was in the 1970s. Um, And things get leaked out of all kinds of agencies all the time. The the, the leak is not the story. And and increasingly now, there's a a consensus that has grown around this uh, in both the media and in the political circles that this leak was probably done by Sam Alito himself or somebody very close to him. And the concern was that John Roberts is very opposed to this decision. And he has been lobbying the other four uh, conservative justices, and the concern was that his lobbying might be being effective and they might dilute this. Uh, if in particular, uh, apparently Brett Kavanaugh was the focus of his lobbying. And if he could dilute this decision, then uh, that would be very upsetting to Sam Alito and and uh, you know, the other two and Gorsuch and 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 uh, Handmaiden Barrett. And so, uh, that I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I mean, like I said, there's a broad consensus right now that this leak did not come from somebody on the left. This came this came right out of Alito or somebody very
0: close to him. Mm. If it came out that Alito leaked it, uh, what impact do you think that would have on his um, reputation and career? None. His, his
4: reputation among people who are not fans of his is already in the Toilet, you know, it's in the tank. And his reputation among uh, people on the right, I mean, you know, these are folks who, you know, Donald Trump said, I'm going to grab him by the crotch, and they said, fine. And, you know, 20 women accusing him of rape, oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, You know, his entire life, Donald Trump bragged about abortion. In fact, if you'll remember with Marlo Maples, um, the big story in the New York Post was how he was trying to talk her into getting an abortion. Remember that? Got, well, I also I know that, that, Donald, that Trump well. is on,
0: Donald Trump is on video from days long before he was um, politically minded, where he was just, you know, a, a public figure, where he said that he is pro-choice. Um, yeah, over
4: and over again. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and tried to talk his girlfriend into it. Ended up, you know, she wouldn't go along with it. And he had to marry her. And now he's got this daughter, Tiffany. But, but the point is that, that uh, on the right, if if you're dancing to the tune of the right-wing billionaires and the uh, and the religious freaks, you can do no harm. So I don't think this is going to hurt Alito's reputation at all, even if it comes out that he's the guy who leaked it.
0: From a standpoint of political philosophy, you, you look at the issue of abortion, and, and it is a very difficult issue to put legislation around because of the different theological, philosophical, and legal issues Um, uh, theory attached to when is a fetus a human being and um, when does life begin and what is the role of the government in either staying the heck out of your life or protecting life? Um, How did, in your opinion, maybe this question is just too out there or maybe it's a a great question. I'll take a chance and I'll, I'll give it to you. How did abortion somehow become split down liberal versus conservative lines.
4: My sense of it is that the big government Republicans, the ones who want the government inserted between women and their doctors, um, have essentially abandoned anything that resembles conservatism. You'll recall back in 1962 or 63, Barry Goldwater um, said that uh, he was very, very concerned that these uh, Christian fundamentalists were trying to take over the Republican Party and that if they ever got control of the party, uh, there would be hell to pay. And uh, he was very outspoken about that. And and it turns out he was right. I'm not sure that left or right, conservative or liberal are words that um, have a lot of meaning here. Typically, those, those are words that apply to uh, political or economic issues. Exactly. Um, you know, the right... The right to unionize and stuff like that
0: so that i i'm always you know when i think about abortion you know forget the league forget the left the right and all that when you think about in your own life everybody knows someone who might have been considered considering abortion or had an abortion or might be facing it themselves it comes down if you're a halfway intelligent person if you're just a person who doesn't think about things or is shallow and and, and not necessarily um tuned into the deeper meaning of these things well you know then it's uh, it's it's whatever it is whatever your friends think and your family thinks and but if you're really a thoughtful person it, it, it's not something that just falls into this is my view and i'm and, and you're a very thoughtful guy i just wondered what you thought it doesn't fall into the normal paradigm of left and right it, it, it politics right. which you clearly said is usually economic or uh, on a less personal level, government interference or non-interference in our lives. And I just find, you know, now that now that Roe v. Wade is the number one topic of the week, a subject that talk radio and talk news, talk TV tries to avoid, just like, you know, gun control and things of that nature, which just goes around and around. I figured I'd throw that question at you because it's it's something I've always wondered.
4: Yeah, it, it, it's truly astonishing to see people uh, in, an, in a political party That for decades have argued that they're in favor of less government now coming out and saying we should be using the power of men with guns and, and prison cells to enforce a religious perspective on when life begins.
0: That's influential liberal thought leader and syndicated radio talk show host Tom Hartman with his take on the number one topic in the American talk media this week, the Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade. What a fascinating juxtaposition of views we just heard from Tom Hartman, a liberal, and Harry Hurley, a conservative. I bet your juices are flowing. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Hey, it's all about freedom of speech. Speaking of which, the First Amendment is the foundation upon which this thing we call talk radio is built. Earlier this week, I was a guest on a program hosted by one of my favorite radio personalities, Todd Feinberg, on our affiliate WTIC in Hartford, Connecticut. Here's a clip from that conversation in which we talk about the First Amendment, freedom of speech and political correctness.
3: Tuesday afternoon, Michael Harrison is here. we chatting about everything going on in the world. This is George Carlin. Maybe you remember this one, Michael.
5: Why is it that most of the people who are against abortion are people you wouldn't want to f- in the first place?
0: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Can you imagine uh, that kind of ho- comedy being popular today? I
3: can, but I don't
0: know. I don't. Do you think that would be allowed? Well, I I think, frankly, you know, and we're dealing with another topic here and they all overlap that we are in one of the most repressed times in terms of the arts, in terms of comedy, in terms of free speech, in terms of political correctness and all that other stuff that I remember since my early, early childhood, which goes back to the repression of the Eisenhower era. I I think that people like uh, George Carlin and Lenny Bruce would be hauled off to jail, or or, or at least the jail of public opinion. Um, It's terrible out there in terms of comedy and satire and um, having an opinion. It's dangerous having a political opinion, let alone one that might offend somebody.
3: It's interesting, though, that we get to speak so frankly here in talk radio and... We get to use the language of the old days. I mean, we get to behave like there's still free speech across the board and all. Why Why is it that, that we get to do that? Is it just that we're baked in and, and people accept it and, and the ones who would be horrified don't listen? Well, it's a matter of degree. Um, I think that you're correct that people do expect there to be
0: a certain amount of candor, a certain amount of... Um, you know, sharp-edged conversation on talk radio, but there's hardly as much of it as there was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or 30 years ago. Um, People lose their jobs now for saying things that they would not lose their job 15 or 20 years ago, so therefore we're heading in a bad direction. There's two ways of interpreting the First Amendment. One is the literal interpretation that... um, Uh, Freedom of speech, per the First Amendment, protects you from government interference, but not from private interference. And then there's the spirit of the First Amendment, in which private interference can also curtail free expression when that private interference comes from a powerful private source, such as the owner of Facebook or the owner of Twitter. And we're dealing with that. You know, our Facebook and Twitter now public utilities that can punish you the way the water company or the electric company could for your political views so the first amendment has to be understood legally before you can really have an intelligent conversation about it but once that is done yes within that broader context the first amendment is under assault in our present environment
3: well i think though that you know when you have there's a conflict of interest when you have politicians who don't don't like free speech it, unless it's supporting them when you have them regulating big companies like the tech firms that that run the public squares then they are going in with a, a certain philosophy because they think it'll benefit them politically and there you have a merger of those the independent private world into the public square and over the couple hundred years of America the there's been an expansionist, sentiment towards the idea of free speech. So so we now view it as being much broader than just that the government can't curb our speech. Speech it's more of a framework for understanding that that it's part of the market-driven system that all things work better if we have our freedoms fully celebrated and the more communication we have without it being curbed by Uh, by special interests, the better off the society is. And ideas are the most important of all of those rights. That's a clip from a conversation that took place
0: earlier this week on our affiliate WTIC in Hartford, Connecticut, in which I was interviewed as a guest on the Todd Feinberg Show. Coming up next, we're heading to Ukraine and catch up for the second week in a row with our correspondent on the ground in that war-torn country, Greg Stebbin. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap.
6: This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public.
5: G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis.
6: In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit genesis2project.com.
0: Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. The Russia-Ukraine war remains a worsening international calamity and one that we'll be talking about for weeks, if not months to come. Or will we? Is there danger that the American media and public will begin experiencing Ukraine fatigue if they haven't already begun doing so? Joining us is a correspondent for the website Beams.Live, filing a special report to us from inside the Ukraine border, Greg Stebbin. Well, Greg, where are you right now uh, in in Ukraine?
5: Uh, I'm on the other side of the border from a Polish town called Medica. It's one of the major crossings for the Ukrainians to get from Ukraine to Poland, and I'm I'm literally about a block and a half from the border itself, um, and I'm in a little courtyard that I ducked into because I thought it would be a little quieter. Uh, There's a little motel here that it actually looks like a set of cabins from the Adirondack Mountains, log cabins, and the parking lot is just full of cars with Ukrainian license
0: plates. How does it feel? psychologically or otherwise, on one side of the border or the other? I I, I spoke to you recently from Poland, and now at this moment, you're actually in Ukraine. Is there a difference of feeling, even though you're just, you know, hundreds of yards on the other side of the border?
5: You know, I'm gonna answer that two ways, and and the, the, the short answer is there's definitely a difference in feeling, but the surprising thing is here so close to the border, um, and you know we're 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 way to the west. So this is not the target of the Russians. Um, life here appears to go on something like normal. So, for instance, as we were walking along from the border to this little motel, we saw a family yesterday sitting in their backyard at a picnic table having dinner. I don't think you're doing that in Eastern Ukraine. I think people are trying to live normal lives. I don't think they, if you live here, I don't think you feel the threat of war the same way you do. But on the other hand, your life is completely changed because three million people went through here trying to get out of the country. And how does that disrupt your life? Well, it completely disrupts your life. Now things have calmed down uh, and enormously here. So there was actually a report last week that more people are going back to Ukraine now than are leaving. So the tide of re- refugees leaving the country is is dramatically diminished. There are quite a, people, uh, quite a few people going back into Ukraine. And again, that has an impact on the people who are living here and, and what they once considered normal life. But it's not an impact like they would have if they were in eastern Ukraine.
0: It's interesting uh, that uh, it it really shows you firsthand how difficult it is, even for a mighty army from Russia to conquer a nation. You know, we think of we think of these things as you're you're rolling over the border. The tanks are coming. The planes are shooting missiles and and uh, the war is over. Um, The reality is. In the absence of nuclear weapons, When we just deal with conventional military um, assets, Uh, it isn't easy for a big country to take over a small country, as evidenced uh, by the wars we were in in um, Korea, the wars we were in in Vietnam, uh, Afghanistan, the Russians in Afghanistan, um, the French in the Vietnamese war that they had. It's not easy to take over another country militarily. And I guess you're seeing that, that, that this is a large country, and there's a limitation to how many tanks and how many troops any country could have.
5: I'm not an expert at warfare. I've read quite a bit because I'm here, and I think we've all read quite a bit. It is stunning in some ways to think about what appear to be miscalculations on the Russian side. You know, for instance, we saw that convoy that just sat there for day after day after day. Well, one of the factors was it's mud season in Ukraine. So a lot of those tanks and things, to my understanding, is they got stuck in the mud and then they couldn't get fuel and then there were all kinds of logistics issues. Even last week, there was the natural gas shutoff. But you would think to yourself, if you're a country like Russia, and your main export is natural gas well wouldn't you and, and you thought you were going to leverage the national uh, leverage the natural gas you know as a way of, of manipulating other countries into doing what you wanted wouldn't you plan the invasion for november or december not at the beginning of spring Mm-hmm. I can tell you in Warsaw, the week that the natural gas uh, shutdown occurred, all the restaurants are putting out the tables outside for people to eat so- outside because the weather is beautiful here. Nobody's worried about natural gas. So it just seems to me it's another set of miscalculations by the Russians. And to your point, I think it's really hard to pull off something like this. And, and it may be one of the greatest lessons that that military commanders in the future learn is, you know, maybe we shouldn't try this unless we're really sure we're going to be able to do it. And and I think that's a great lesson for everybody to learn that it's really hard. and Maybe we shouldn't do it at all.
0: The um, the Russians especially should know this because they were on the other end of that equation. Uh, Napoleon ran into uh, uh, his problems trying to conquer Mother Russia. Um, Adolf Hitler bogged down. When he tried to uh, attack uh, Russia and the Soviet Union, um, the, the 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 great amount of terrain they have, and the and in, in the case of the winters and the mud and and, and all of that, um, you think the Russians would know that lesson, but. Um,
3: well, right,
5: and, and 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 the irony is, um, it doesn't learn like it doesn't seem like the the right lessons from history were learned or applied at all, or there's something else motivating this uh, that maybe we don't yet person- uh, we don't yet understand, or uh, it's a it's a it's a personality driven assault, or, or or who knows, but it doesn't seem like common sense was at the bottom of it all.
0: My fear is that no matter what happens, if the Russians just stay with it and don't uh, let their own public opinion or support of the war erode as more Russian uh, soldiers are sent back in body bags and and all of the harsh reality of war economically and in human life, uh, don't uh, take their toll on the will of the Russians, both their government and the people to continue this war. Unfortunately, the numbers are on the Russian side whether they miscalculate or not, if they stay with it, eventually Ukraine um, will will fall. Um, it's just a matter of how long Ukraine can hold them off and how much will the Russians have to keep at it. Um, many wars in the past ended that way. You know, when when the American uh, Revolution took place, we were going up against the greatest army, the greatest empire, the greatest power in the world. Had the British not gotten tired of it, had the British not lost their will to send their young people, their young soldiers across the ocean to fight this guerrilla warfare, this ragtag, but dedicated, you know, army of, um, people from the colonies, um, they would have won that war. They, 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 they could have, but they lost the will. And, and I think that's what's, um, that's what's at play right now in terms of of this particular conflict. How did you wind up going to Poland?
5: So when the war broke out, um, the first thing I did I think most people know that very early on President Zelensky announced a website where you could go and volunteer to fight with the military with the Ukrainian army, and I immediately went to the website, although you know I'm a sixty year old guy I don't have military experience. I didn't think that I could really help fight, but I thought maybe maybe I could talk on the radio about the war. And that's not what they were looking for. They were looking for soldiers. Uh, and then over the course of another few weeks, I talked to people and I had some people calling me and And actually a friend of mine who owns an online interactive TV platform, it's called Beams, B-E-A-M-Z dot live. He called me and he said, we're using our platform to talk about the war and raise money. They actually had a uh, it, the, the Beams platform was originally built for tour guides to do online tours during the COVID pandemic. He said they had a tour guide from Kiev who had actually on live interactive TV filmed herself fleeing from Kiev with her family. And he said, do you think with your background in radio, there's some way you could use our platform to, to help with a war effort? And I said, well, yeah. If you want to send me to Poland and Ukraine, I probably could do a lot of radio interviews about what's going on there because my belief is – and you touched on this earlier – my belief is we cannot – any of us, the U.S., or Europe or other parts of the world, we cannot afford to lose interest in this war because if we take our attention off of it, that just plays into Putin's hand. And if he thinks we're not paying attention, we ain't seen nothing yet. I don't think the atrocities we've already seen or heard about are gonna be anything compared to what he would do if he thinks nobody's looking.
0: I suspect he's counting on us losing interest. I think he knows enough about American popular culture and the, the short term attention span of media that's always looking to get more, you know, earballs and eyeballs. Um, I, I said it backwards, but you know what I mean? Uh, I think he, <laughs> yeah. I think he counts on that because, you know, we track stories week after week after week. We've been doing it year after year for over three decades. And there is a shelf life to a story yeah. in the American media, even if it remains pertinent. Uh, One of the reasons is the media doesn't want to beat a dead horse once people are not interested in it uh, because they don't want to lose audience or readership uh, or subscribers. And uh, the other reason is that... um, Even the journalists get tired of of things. There's a short term attention span. And uh, then it gets into a whole issue of priorities. You and I were talking um, recently and you brought up uh, the Will Smith. Chris Rock story uh, eclipsed the um, the war in Ukraine for a a few days in the United States, which when you stop and think of the magnitude, impact and importance of each. And you had said it plays into Putin's hands uh, that the West is ultimately corrupt and frivolous in terms of its values, et cetera, et cetera. So I hear you. I think that um, it is a you you are doing a service by keeping this story in your own way, in your own small way. So we don't sound like, you know, we, we have this out of proportion in your own small way, but meaningful way to keep people talking about this and keep it on the minds of Americans so that American support remains politically expedient for our government
5: yeah to to the point you just made, I, I would even point to something that happened in the last week, which is all of a sudden Elon Musk and Twitter became, you know, the dominant news story, or at least if you're in social media at all uh, and and really pushed things like the Ukraine war on the back burner. And yet, I think ironically, I think the twitter Elon Musk story has a huge role in in the Ukrainian war because I think for instance, I use Twitter all the time and one of the things I'm doing is following a bunch of Ukrainians and I watch what they say in the morning about, you know, they're living this week they're living a normal life and next week they're hiding again. And it's been a great source of information for me. Twitter's an incredibly plat- incredibly powerful platform, and yet the story of Elon Musk buying it, which isn't isn't gonna happen for months and months if it happens at all, pushed all of that aside because it's kind of sexy and sensational.
0: And, yeah, and I'm yeah. just
5: here to keep talking about this Ukraine war. So, you know, things may interrupt, but I'm going to do my best to drive it back to the front of the conversation again.
0: Um, just interestingly, this conversation is taking place on Monday, May 2nd. Um, it will be posted on Tuesday, May 3rd on the podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview. And I may use excerpts of it for The Michael Harrison Wrap this coming weekend. Um, we had you on last week on The Wrap, and this is a good follow-up, but it. It's interesting from this point in time last week the number one story on the talkers charts of conversation on news talk radio across America the number one story was the economy people are concerned about the cost of living and their financial situation which of course ties into a million stories the second most talked about story last week And you hit it on the head was Elon Musk and Twitter. The third most talked about story last week was the Russia-Ukrainian War. Now, I have to point out for six weeks in a row, Russia-Ukraine War was number one. Then it then it now it's wrestling with those other stories to be um, at the top of the pile. So uh, you make a you make a very good point. That's Greg Stebbin, a correspondent for the website Beams, reporting in from inside the Ukraine border where he's covering the Russian-Ukraine war. As I mentioned last week, Greg and the website Beams.live are raising money to purchase ambulances, which are serving as mobile hospital units in Ukraine. You can help by clicking on beamslive Ambulance. That's b e a slash Ambulance. Interestingly, the big story about the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade had not yet broken when I conducted this conversation with Greg Stebbin earlier this week, pushing conversation about the war down even lower on the talker's chart. Sometimes you just don't see these things coming. And that, of course, makes it all quite interesting. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the National Conversation, looking back at the week of Monday, May 2nd through Friday, May 6th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including that ever lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the National Conversation spinning off. (laughs) In a totally unexpected direction as we experienced this week with a Supreme Court story. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at Michael at Talkers.com. My podcast, the Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at MHinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com, the Michael Harrison Rap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone
4: Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.